FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. All right, so related to whatever, I mean, Bigfooty stuff, I guess, or, or stuff, just yeah. life stuff. What's what's been going on? With you? Uh, not a lot of Bigfooty stuff. It's been winter, so um, I mean, I haven't personally been doing anything. There's stuff been going on with the uh, North American Wood Ape Conservancy. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, but you know, it's, uh, well, you, you know, it's, it's, you did this. Uh, you did like a talk at at a library, which I didn't know you do, but it. It's something I think you should do oh, more yeah. often. Yeah, the me personally or the group, the group does it. Um, we get invited to uh, classes, uh, school classes, like in a schoolroom situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we do uh, talks, discussions at uh, like clubs, men's clubs, things like that. Dance um, clubs. Dance clubs, yeah, raves. Alton gets up and someone beatboxes and he talks He's about like, like wood apes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Um, those things aren't typically recorded for public consumption, but yeah, so we'll do, we'll do presentations as part of our education outreach, you know, which is, which is in our, uh, part of our mission. Um, so that's the first one I've done here. I'm hoping to do more of them. I have a lead on one more that I might do, but yeah, there it's, you know, it's a good time. And that was, um, that was a really response were uh, sort of a receptive crowd. So it was, it was good stuff. You said, it. you said you haven't been doing a lot of stuff because there's, because because of the, the winter, but I mean, I know a couple. It wasn't like a couple years ago. Didn't you guys go out and do something ape related up north here? Up north, yeah, yeah. It was kind of an experiment. Uh, we brought uh, Daryl Collier up here, um, put him in his uh, Navy survival. I'm sorry, Air Force survival gear, and uh, threw him out. Uh, for that. The side. <laughs> oh, you can edit that out, right? <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to do that. I get in trouble, dude. Um, I don't know. He was, he was in some kind of armed forces. I don't know what it was. No, I know what he was doing. Anyway, so yeah, we went out in the woods and we did some stuff. You know, we did sort of the typical stuff, um, but it was bloody cold. It was like twenty something degrees below zero, and it was it was. I mean, that's just wicked cold, mm-hmm. and um, we got nothing. But it you know it was an experiment. I, I don't recall ever hearing anyone doing that. You know, kind of stuff in the depths of winter. I, I suppose the guys that that work out of Minnesota. I don't really know a lot of them, but I suppose they do it. But, um, it was the first time I've ever done it in that, in those, in, in those conditions. And, uh, so we, you know, we did call blasting and wood knocking and that sort of thing and stomped around in the woods the best we could with the snow that was up to our hips in some cases. You just like, you didn't camp out, right? It was like, you stayed, no, <laughs> we stayed in a really nice cabin. Okay. Um, and, uh, talked about Godzilla movies and comic books and, and then, uh, in between going out looking for Bigfoot, yeah. Oh, see, that's that's what I need to be involved in. Oh, you should have been there, man. It would have been it would have been epic. The really nice cabin sells me uh, a <laughs> lot more than like Area X, where it's a know, hot tub and yeah. a sauna. It that was gorgeous, perfect. beautiful frozen lake. It was terrific. I got a, I got a ton of um, reader questions and stuff this time, which is something I wanted to do last i think the last time i had you guys on i had reader questions but i missed out on like half of them so we're gonna get to those in a minute but yeah like here in ohio they the the um quote-unquote researchers you couldn't see the finger quotes listeners but um uh they do a lot of research which involves like someone sees uh a rabbit track behind their house and they call and then you know the bfro sends someone out and they're like oh bigfoot definitely came through here and it's like half a mile from the airport and there's like you know middle of the city or whatever but um i think that that that's actually a case that did happen like two years ago um yeah you got to be careful with the snow um it's uh it it distorts and um it does weird things i mean i i I actually a couple years ago actually several years ago now that i think about it uh we went snowshoeing i like to take pictures of of tracks that that i know what they are or have a pretty good idea what they are just to see how they sort of change when the when the wind blows and the snow makes them fills them in and also sort of like just changes their shape snowshoe tracks in particular um have a big footy feel to them, you know, uh, if you don't know what you're looking at. I mean, they're they're generally far too close together. I mean, they're right on top of each other, and they're side by side. They're not in a straight line. So there's really, if you know what you're looking at, there's nothing big footy about them. 
but um, it's just kind of cool to to record that stuff and and know what it looks like. There's also that thing where like during winter, there's you get these hunters out here where I am anyway, and they yeah. wander all over the place in these huge boots. And then we yeah. get the way the weather in Ohio usually is not this year, but uh, we'll get a lot of like snow and then it melts and then it refreezes and we get that yeah. and that expands. What is this melting thing you're talking about? I don't know anything about snow melting. Well, honestly, dude, we haven't even had <laughs> snow this year. We've had almost yeah. nothing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, Actually, there was there's the giant lake that's near town here called Lake Minnetonka. It's iced out today. They declared it iced out. It's the earliest ice out in 134 years. It's crazy. What does that mean, ice out? That means there's no ice in the lake anymore. All, all the ice, all the ice is gone. Wow. Yeah, it's a giant lake, and it usually ices out a month from now. It's crazy. Oh, uh, what what have you? I mean, this is totally not. I wasn't going to ask. This is this isn't like on my list or anything. But like, what has the weather been like in X this past winter? Do you know? Uh, I've been sort of keeping tabs on it. It's been um, it's been unseasonable, like it has been everywhere else. There's, it's been. It seems to me that it's been fairly wet. Um, in fact, there's been some um, severe weather gone through there in the in the recent past. Um, so it, I think it's been I think it's been unseasonable, and I think it's been wet. But you know, when the when the guys were in there, um, uh, we were in there uh, right after the first of the year, and have been in there a few times since. It's been cold. But it's not cold like it is here. You know, it's been like in the twenties or something like that. So it, it did get cold, uh, but I don't. I don't think they had. Um, they, I, from what I understand, there wasn't anything like the horrible ice they had a couple of years ago. That stuff was brutal. You guys have been in there since the first of the year. Yeah. Um, when did do you want to talk about the radio tag? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about all that stuff, but but yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about the fact that you've been in there, and I know yeah. listeners. That is the most common question we get: is like, are they in there? 24 7 365 are they in there at all during the winter is it only during the summer months how does that work yeah the nawc we're we um traditionally you know we've got our our summer operations and when we're in there we are in there as close to 24 7 as possible for about three months or so maybe longer than that four months um but then in the off season we'll try to get in there every once in a while what's interesting this year and what's probably caused us to get in there more often than we would normally is this radio tech incident. And I'm, I don't know how many of your listeners know what I'm talking about. So I'll sort of, I'll go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a member, uh, a, a wildlife biologist who, who works for uh, one of the States in these 50 States of the United States of America. And uh, he, when he came to the group, he brought uh, sort of to our attention, this technology, um, which is these small, um, radio tags you know they're they're probably about the size of a a, i don't know like a marble or so and they have these like maybe six or eight inch long um wire tails and all they do is beat you know on a radio signal and um what he would do with them is he sort of like you know hot glues into the back of a turtle or something puts turtle down turtle wanders off and he comes back in six months or whatever to see how far the turtle went and so the you know they've been used in in wildlife biology for quite some time and uh so we started thinking about this probably about a year ago now, I would guess it was probably about this time. Um, how could we get one of these tags on an eight? Because there's all kinds of things. There's like a zillion things we don't know. We don't know what their range is. We don't know where they go. We don't know where they live. We don't know, you know, we don't know all kinds of things. So, um, we started, we started thinking about that and you got a couple of, a couple of challenges. You gotta, you gotta make it so that it'll stick to an ape. You know, that's the first thing. So, um, there are these uh, these burrs down in Texas. They're nasty things. They get caught up in your hair, stick to your clothes, stuff like that. But they're about the same size as one of these radio tags. So uh, one of our MacGyver experts, Mark McClurkin, he uh, sort of took one of these and hollowed it out, took all the insides out, because we certainly don't want to be spreading some sort of invasive species in the Washita's. And um, actually put the, the, the thistly sort of shell of this burr around the radio tag and then he sort of um he sort of glued it on there and sort of wrapped the whole thing in rat glue you know from a rat trap so it was super sticky um that was that solved the problem of how to get it to stick to something because that stuff was a mess Hmm. and then the uh the other thing we did is you know alton higgins for a long time has been putting up string traps where he'll put a you know black thread or or something um across these trails, these sort of game trails, these little openings where we, we, you know, trying to figure out where they might be going. So he'll put it like six feet, seven feet up in the air. And then uh, he's been doing this for years. And, and, and that's, that's one of the ways we've, we've kind of figured out where they move because you'll, 
check these string traps and one will be all strung out and, and pulled. And the, you, 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 of course, don't have a camera on the string trap because if you did, they wouldn't go there. But <laughs> um, when it's pulled out, you, you wonder, like, well, how could that string trap get pulled out because it was seven feet off the ground? Um, so over the years, we've, we've, we've taken that string trap data, if you will, and attached it to other sort of um, stuff that we've experienced. And, and we said, well, now we got this idea of these string traps, and maybe there's a way for us to hang these radio tags on the string traps. Long story short, um, the, the radio tags themselves have a little magnet on them, and when the magnet is affixed, the, the radio transmitter is turned off. When the magnet disconnects, uh, the radio transmitter turns on. So we have them hanging the string, um, the, the radio tag is on one string and the magnet is on another. And the, the, the string itself is strung across the, um, the gap wherever we have it. And it's tight on one side and just sort of loosely wound around a branch or something on the other so that it will easily sort of dislocate when something walks through there. And we'd hang these things, you know, as I said, kind of way up in the air, um, above the head of any of us. Mm. And, um, last, Last summer, I'm going to have the dates wrong. I think it was August. Um, one of these tags deployed. It, it was gone. And the team who was there, uh, they discovered that it had deployed and it was nighttime. And so the way this works is you have the, the radio's tags are all on different frequencies. So you can figure out which one it is you're, you're listening to. And you have this little headset thing and these, this big sort of old style TV antenna that you sweep around trying to pick up the signal. And uh, they heard the signal all around them. Now, it turns out they probably had the gain turned up too high, so they didn't really know what direction it was, but it was everywhere. The signal was, it was, the tag was deployed, it was beeping, it was close. And uh, they waited until the next morning to sort of figure out, they were going to start to try to figure out where this was, because these tags will last for like nine months. They'll go forever. Hmm. So they're like, let's go out in the morning and, and we'll find this thing. It's pitch black. And uh, the next day, there was no tag. There was no, uh, there was no beeping. And there was no, they went to the top of the mountain no beeping. They went all over the place, no beeping. Um, and then subsequent teams would, would try to pick up this tag again and nothing happened. So it was really frustrating because this tag was gone. It had deployed, it had been beeping and now it wasn't. Now our assumption was that whatever picked this tag up took it a certain ways away. I mean, they're, they're, they're simple radio tags. So if you go on the other side of the mountain, we're not going to hear it anymore. But we, we assumed that this tag had been carried off and, and probably had fallen off or something. And we also realized during our retreat that we've got pilots in the group. We have like five pilots. And so we uh, sort of lassoed them into service and using uh, their private aircraft and this receiver, we flew over to Washita. I was trying to find, trying to pick up this beeping. And they did. They did. They found it. And it wasn't anywhere near where it had deployed. It actually was on the other side of a mountain range of a ridge um, quite a ways away. Uh, from from where it deployed, so that was exciting. We knew the tag had moved, and so we put a team on the ground to go pick it up. But when they got there, it wasn't where the aircraft aircraft had picked it up; it had moved again. Long story short, we've been in there a handful of times um, since the first of the year. I'm going to guess like four or five times, hmm. and we've picked it up all but one time, and it's continuing to move. So this tag, this tag isn't sitting still; it's attached to something some kind of animal that's moving around and you have to go through the process of elimination. Well, what kind of animal could it be attached to? As I said, it was six and a half, seven feet off the ground. Um, so right away, you're going to discount any sort of lower ground dwelling animal. Like, you know, mountain lions are in there, but there's no way a mountain lion could have gotten to that tag. Um, a deer, maybe, I don't know what a deer would have leapt up. I mean, again, this is seven feet off the ground. I don't know how a deer could have got it. Um, a large bear could have stuck his nose up, um, but then he wouldn't have been, you know, walking around with it on his nose <laughs> since since August, right? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So we're um, if you accept that uh, there are these seven to eight foot tall apes walking around the Washitas, um, that's really the only animal that fits the bill. Now, again, this thing is this this thing is really nasty. Um, it's really sticky and, and all that kind of stuff. So the, 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 I, I guess the operating um, assumption that we have at this point is that it got caught in the hair and um, it can't be removed or it's not trying to remove it. Hmm. You know, I was thinking that cause they're primates, primates groom, um, you may have been, it may have been picked out, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case at all. 
So um, that's where we are. Hmm. Uh, um, d- did this sounds like uh, it could also be an alien situation? Like you guys could be holed up in the, in the cabin or something, and all of a sudden you're like, it's it's right outside. It's all around us. You know, they're just yeah. coming at you, little blips on a radar somewhere. Yeah. Um, so any other activity besides that? Like, did you guys any rock throws? Anything? That's always what. Yeah, some of the teams that went in there um, in the in the winter, they uh, they heard some some wood knocks, and um, I think there was a team that had a, a strong sort of a smell um, encounter. So I, there's there's been minor, um, but we haven't been in the cabins while we've been out there looking for. It. We've been all over in the woods, you know. Okay. So it hasn't really been the situation where we've been in the in the cabin area mm-hmm. uh we've been camping sort of out in the bush trying to uh find this radio tag so something that i wanted to mention to you i went in all this like research i'm starting to do for the boggy creek uh project yeah uh, for small town monsters um i'm shocked not shocked i knew that there was a history but i had no idea how much there is i guess out there about the wachita's and like wild men and mm-hmm. Bigfoot going back, I mean, way back. And in fact, like during the late 1800s, it seems like it's everywhere. I did a, just like a cursory newspaper archive search because I was trying to find stuff for Falk. And I found tons of these Wachita. That's all I was turning up. It got to the point where I was like, oh, great, another stupid Wachita wild man report. Like, (laughs) that's your next movie, man. Yeah. (laughs) But I just think it's, it's really interesting that there's this long history. This isn't like you guys just walked in there and all of a sudden. Oh, Lord, no. No. And and if you look on a map, that whole system is connected, right? So the the Falk area is if you if you follow those creeks and and rivers back, Mm -hmm. you know, they go into places like the Washita's. So, I mean, that's all one connected system. Yeah, we we drove right by the Washita's on the way down to to Falk or like an exit that said the Washita's. And I got a. Yeah, I know exactly. Kind of a cold chill when I drove by. Yeah, I know. I know how you went down there. Um. You, you, on, on your left, you had the Ozarks, and on your right, you had the Washtaws, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I've said this uh, before, but the it is completely permeated in the culture of that area. The the, the, the thing is that the, the, the population of the Washtaws is not very large, and um, people even within the state don't even know they have mountains in Oklahoma. So, the, but if you, once you're in there and, and you, you start to, sort of integrate with the, with the population, the local, local population, you realize that the, it's as much a part of their culture as it is Northern California or Washington state. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, you see little signs, there's little community newspapers about it. Um, everyone's got a story. Everyone knows somebody who's seen something. I mean, it, it is absolutely something that is, um, just part of the, the, the ecosystem. There. Did, did that stuff play a role in Choosing X at all. I mean, I know there was probably acti- I, I, you've told me about how X became yeah. the place, but like, did the Wild Man reports or any of that like kind of ancient history stuff play into it? Oh, hundred percent. You know, when Alton, I mean, Alton found X, um, and he was basically doing you know um, grunt field research work. He 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 was looking at um, reports of 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 this animal's activity. And so he looked on a map and he said, if I was one of these things, where would I want to live? And he drew a circle, figuratively or or actually, I don't really know. But he said, I want to go look there. And then he went into the area and started talking to people. And um, one conversation led to another conversation and that led to the cabins. And, uh, you know, he went in there the first time and found this beautiful, perfect print in this area we called the mud hole. And, and, uh, that was it. He was stuck. He was going to be in there for the next you know, 20 years now, almost. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, that's exactly how the area was found sort of putting together the, the encounter reports with the environment and, and everything else and trying to find what would be a sort of typical, you know, environment for, for an animal like this to live in. Yeah. Um, all right, I got to start reading off these questions because we're already like twenty-two yeah. minutes in. Uh, the first one is from Gary Scott. He wanted to know: for the length of time you have been an ex, do you believe you are accepted as a curiosity, or are you treated as an intruder to be chased out of the area? I wish I knew. I think that the, you know, the operating assumption that at least I have. I, and, you know, this is the thing that there's a lot of people in the group, and we all have different opinions on stuff, but. I think that for a while we were 
both. I think some some of the animals may have seen us as intruders, and some of them some of us may some of them may have seen us as as uh, wildly entertaining. Um, it may be the case that both of those things have gone down over time because we were a known quantity. You know what we do is is has been established. You know they I, I do believe that they're observing us quite often. Um, so our activities are well known. Um, our habits are established. The places that we go and don't go have been established. Um, so I think that it may be the case that over the years we are less interesting and maybe perceived as less of a threat than, than in years past. But I'm completely guessing and basing that off of just the level of anecdotal um, encounters and, and other kinds of activities that we've we've experienced. I mean, they're still there and they're still interested in us, but it does seem as though the, the intensity and level of, of uh, activity has gone down over the years. The the situations where shots were fired have there been has there been like a noticeable or was there a noticeable change in like behavior or like interaction with you guys or no no that's the crazy thing I, I no long story short uh, um absolutely not and and I believe that at least on one occasion you know the the uh, infamous echo incident um one of them was hit and that was the first year that we were doing these long term operations uh, didn't impact. Uh, their behavior at all as far as we can tell and it, there may have been another shot that got very very close and or at least one maybe two of those and no it, if they understand what a gun does well i don't think they do because they they keep coming in yeah it makes me wonder about things like ape canyon because you got this story about yeah. you know these guys they shoot right they yeah. shot one or something yeah. like that and then they're besieged for an entire night with rocks ape canyon you know i i read ape canyon and i half of it i i really see um some strong correlations in and the other half i think is exaggeration yeah that's yeah. kind of what i that's kind of what i've had the impression with with that story for a long time it's like yeah it, and in fact i think a lot of the historical sort of bigfoot accounts are exaggerated like i th- i think there's something to the ostman account I don't think that it, you know, that this guy was taken to a cave and then had these Bigfoots talking to each other. And no, I mean, there's, and yeah, we talked about how they, they were, they had mats and things like that. They yeah. woke. You know, this is what John Green always said about Albert Osman is that he knew he identified specific traits well before they were popularly known. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no internet back then. Certainly not when Osman had his encounter, if he, indeed he did have one. But even in the '60s and '70s, and there just weren't, there wasn't as much content out there. And now you can go on the internet and you could come up with a plausibly, you know, realistic encounter report just all on your own based on what you read on the internet. But but Osman didn't have access to that, and so that was always what John Green said about him was that he seemed to be saying things that you wouldn't know otherwise. But there was also a bunch of other stuff in there that made no sense whatsoever. So I don't know what to do with Howard Osman. Yeah. I just don't know what to do with him. Um, I gotta say, you a, min- a minute ago you were talking about how you check the weather report. Yeah, in X, I something about the the I I think I put myself in your shoes like mentally. If I was in your shoes and I was in this place where you're having these interactions with these creatures that no one no one else you know not no one else but so, so many people don't even believe exist, and you're having frequent like legit interactions with them and it's this it it, in my mind to me that place would become magical like it would become my narnia like i would think of that place constantly so when you guys that's why whenever i have you you or daryl or whatever on i just like to ask you these questions like to try to get insight into how you like think of that place i i personally think about it there isn't a well, because I'm in the group and we're always talking about it, but I would say that even outside of those interactions, I think about it quite a bit. I think about it a lot when I'm going to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sort of like, I, for some reason, imagining myself there puts me in a, a state where I, it's easier for me to fall asleep, which kind of doesn't actually make any sense because it's really hard for me to sleep when I'm there. So I don't really, I don't really know how. Why? Why, why do you have? Why is it hard? Why is it hard to sleep? Just uncomfortable. <laughs> sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes last time I was there, it was just ungodly hot uh, uh, but you're also kind of waiting because there was you know one time i had one kind of try to crawl through the window when i was sleeping right next to it so that was kind of creepy and i didn't like that so there's there's you know you're on sort of um there's a tension when you're there you're on yellow alert sort of all the time or at least you should be 
So um, that's a that's a Collier phrase right there. Yeah, that's where I got it. <laughs> um, it's not a especially at night. It's not necessarily a soothing, calming kind of place. So I oftentimes have a hard time falling asleep when I'm there. But uh, I do think about it. I do think about it a lot. It's it's it reminds me of how I think about Israel because like I went to Israel. Which is, you know, I mean, I was in Jerusalem, which isn't exactly a, I, I mean, I don't know. People think of Israel and they just think of a war zone a lot of the time. Right. But but right. I, I've never felt as safe as I did in a place like uh, Jerusalem because like we'd right. walk around at night and stuff. But I do know that there were there were areas where we went down by the West Bank and stuff that were a little scary. But I still think like I, it's kind of the same thing. Like I think of that all the time when, yeah. I, when I'm going to sleep. I just wonder like... I, I think the psychological aspect of this fascinates me so much. Not like not like what else could be the explanation here, but I'm saying like the way you would think of that of X or the way Daryl thinks of X or Alton or anyone that goes in there, it just it fascinates me. I think it's I mean I some of the most intense and 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 you know just frankly honestly fascinating things that have happened to me in my life have happened there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for me personally, the, the answer to the question <laughs> that we're talking about here, um, was revealed as it were to me there. So it's obviously, um, it's obviously very important. And, oh, it it and changed it, you too. Like, oh, I mean, as oh, someone, 100%. as someone who listened yeah. to the Bigfoot show solely, yeah. like without, before I ever talked to you, um, there was a noticeable change just in, not just in your outlook on, Bigfoots or right. or wood apes, but like right. just kind of the way you spoke about the subject in general. And it then- killed the Bigfoot show. That place killed the Bigfoot show because my entire relationship and and the way I wanted to interact with the subject completely changed because of that place. How and so? I couldn't. I was for a really long time perfectly satisfied with sort of sitting on the fence and throwing you know rocks at people like a wood ape you know and 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 talking about and 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 marveling at the weird community um that is this you know this the the people that are into this sort of thing and especially after i came out that first week um during uh that that uh, that second i'm sorry the second week of, of the second year and i had all those uh we saw the things run up the hill and the thing came up on the porch and so on and so forth. And the rocks really started to like permeate my brain and I couldn't make the rocks make sense without it being, you know, uh, what ape related. Um, it just, it like all of a sudden it was no longer, it wasn't a thing that I watched on TV or talked about. It was a thing that I lived and experienced. And so I found that my interest in all kinds of popular culture manifestations of the subject evaporated. I didn't want to watch Finding Bigfoot anymore. I didn't really want to read anything. I, I, just, I didn't want to even want to do my own show about it because I didn't want to talk about that because I knew they were there and, and the entire subject changed. You know, It became less a cerebral kind of thing and became a physical thing. And um, I just, I lost interest in sort of gossiping about it. You know, all I wanted to do was talk about people who had been there and experienced the same kind of things I had and talked about what it meant and what, what, what could it mean? And that wasn't what the Bigfoot show was. And that's not what the Bigfoot show ever was going to be because the other guys I was on the show with just didn't have the same, well, Sam to a certain extent, I'm I'm, going to, I'll go back and edit that, what I just said, but we just all weren't in the same place. We were in very different places. And, um, our experiences were very different and I, I just, I couldn't find myself enthusiastic about doing that anymore about sitting there and talking about Melba Ketchum again or the latest, you know, Bigfoot TV show that I couldn't bear watching because it just made, it just made me mad at my television set. You know, I, I just, I couldn't do it. How did it, uh, did it affect your, cause like I keep going back to this historical thing, but that's, that's one of the things, especially right now for whatever reason, that's, that's what, my draw is like I'm drawn to the his like the historical accounts, the historicity of the subject in general. Did do you do you pay any attention to those old accounts still? And if so, do you are you kind of like looking for behavior patterns that you recognize when you're reading like wild man reports or ape reports from the late 1800s or early 1900s or any yeah, of that I, stuff? I think that I I don't do as much uh, recreational investigation, you know, like mm-hmm. I used to, I, I don't read the books just to read them anymore. Again, because I'm on a, I'm a, I've, I've 
had personal experiences, so I don't need to read about them as much as I used to. I do go back and, and read some stuff if I'm trying. And, and I'll, what I'll do for now is I'll often see parallels and I'll, I'll see things that I didn't see before. You know, there'll be, there'll be specifics that, that did not occur to me, uh, before about the subject. And, you know, the, 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 the first thing I can think of that is an example of that is speed. And when someone says it was fast, you know, and then I saw what fast was. And now whenever I read an account where they say it was fast, I'm like, oh yeah, brother, I know what you mean. Fast. That was bloody fast, wasn't it? But before I would read fast and I'm like, fast. Okay. Like, a guy running like, no, (laughs) not even. So uh, yeah, I think that's the way I I look at it from a different, um, through a different lens. And when I do go back and look at reports, I I have a sort of a, a a purpose in mind, you know, it isn't um, so much that I'm just doing it because I want, you know, to absorb more information on the subject. I've absorbed plenty I want to start making connections now. So your your goals changed entirely too, because I think, well, I don't even know what your goals, if you had any, were before you had your own encounter. But obviously once you have your, your sighting, like what, I mean, how do you go from doing the Bigfoot show to being a part of a conservancy effort? Because those, those two things, came to to pass around the same time right like the the would a become or nawac it going from tbrc to nawac and you having your sighting happened within the same year didn't they or relatively um, close i don't know i mean i i sort of eased into the group you know i i did the 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 bipcast i did i did two or three bipcasts with no, three with um what was on the tbrc i wasn't a member at that point mm-hmm. um but I made connections and I, and I, I started relationships with, with some of the members at that point. Um, I became a member, the, the Bigfoot show was already going when I became a member. Um, I became more involved. I then started to go down there and, and so they sort of like happened. It's like boiling a frog, (laughs) you know, it's like you have a a frog in a pot of water and he doesn't realize he's boiling until it's too late. And that's kind of what happened because I just was getting more and more involved and and my my relationships with with the members, um, some of them anyway, were, were becoming more and more deeply um, you know personal, and so you know it just sort of happened one day that I woke up and I realized that 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 the whole world had changed, and it was that that was that week with with um, that we were down there with with the, with Bob and Kathy Strain and and Mark McClurkin, and 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 we had those experiences together, and that is the week where everything started to change, you know, Uh, because, you know, what was my goal? I think the goal of anyone who is into this subject and who will put themselves out in the woods, because not everyone will do that. But once you start going out of the woods, I mean, you want to see something, right? You want to experience something. That's why you're there. I don't go, I mean, I love going out into the wilderness. Don't get me wrong. But when you do it camping with a purpose, when you're there for a specific reason, you want to have an experience. So that was my goal. And I'm extraordinarily fortunate and, and, and I understand how fortunate I am that I was able to find myself in a situation where my goal was realized many times over to the point where I have no doubt. And that was what I wanted. I, I just, I didn't appreciate how it was going to change my outlook, you know, completely uh, once it happened. It, it, you know, and I, I've talked about this before too, but there's sometimes someone will, back when I was on the BFF, even when you talk to somebody in, in, in real life, uh, they'll tell you their story and then they say, I don't care if you believe me or not. And I remember having that feeling myself and going like, that's, that's it. You know, when you get to the point where it's like, I'll tell you what happened to me. And I honestly do not care if you believe me because it happened to me. And I, and, and that's, that's just something I, I, I didn't, that's another one of those things that I just didn't realize was going to happen to me. You know, that I was going to get to a point where I wasn't trying to convince anyone anymore that they were real. Ironically, the more confident I became, the less interested I was in trying to change someone's mind about it. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how it turned out. Well, I think too, for me, when, when people have that kind of confidence, that kind of makes me confident in their ability to be, you know, sane, like, right. <laughs> like you're not some crazy person. Although, I mean, I've said it before, but what keeps me, one of the things anyway, that keeps me evolved. And one of the things that moved me from like, pretty pretty far skeptical when i first was getting into this to to believing in the possibility 
was the Bigfoot show and your your Area X episodes especially. I mean, I was yeah. an Area X fanboy. It still am. Like I have blog posts on Sasquatch that collect links to everything I could find yeah. online about X. I mean, yeah. I was obsessed uh, and still am, which is why you're on the show more. I mean, it's a special place, else. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, as an outsider. And and I speak for a lot of people. Like there are a lot of people who would give their right leg to go into X, like yeah. you know, and experience the stuff you guys do. Um, we have more questions. I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. Someone will kill me if I don't. Um, this one's from. Oh, this says Sasswaters. I had some questions for Brian Brown. I know that NEWC has often mentioned they were picking up purchasing some state of the art equipment like thermals, trail cameras, etc. From what I understand, they haven't had a huge amount of success success with these method, methods. I can read. Can you ask if they have tried more low tech methods, like an old thirty five millimeter camera without batteries attached to a manual trigger, yeah. like a string with bait attached yeah. or a pressure pad? How about a punji type trap that is concealed board with nails, hollow needles to trap blood or skin samples? Um, maybe some more primitive methods might yield more successful. The results, it seems that wood apes don't like modern technology, like infrared I'm, beams. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I I'm, I think that uh, it's a mixed bag, you know. On the one hand, um, the high-tech stuff, thermals, uh, I had a, a sighting via thermal this last summer that that knocked my socks off. Um, we've had, uh, many of us have had sightings through thermal. We almost collected a specimen because of a thermal mounted to a, a rifle um, a couple of years ago. Um, the rate, the rate, huh? Murder. (laughs) Right. The, um, the radio tag, uh, was successful. Uh, I, I do believe it appears to have been successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, so sometimes it works. Um, the, but the cameras, that's hundred percent true. The cameras haven't worked. And I, now that we've had success with the, with the string trap, um, I have a lot of interest personally in the idea of having an old mechanical camera, with a, a white white a white light flash um, connected to some sort of physical trigger, hmm. uh, it's a matter of resources and and um, mind share. I think that it would be, you know, I, I think that 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 might be a way to get a picture because um, the the listener is correct. The infrared um, appears somehow. Don't ask me how. The infrared appears to to cause them to not engage uh, in a way that, that allows the camera to get a picture. Mm-hmm. But um, it could be possible that a, that a physical trigger could work. I, I don't disagree with that assessment. It's just a matter of not having the equipment and having, you know, needing to get the equipment and then having someone who can deploy the equipment and then care for the equipment. Because the thing is that these, the radio tag, it was out like all summer long until it deployed. And we had like, I think six of them, mm-hmm. six or eight out there. Um, so, you know, it was nothing, 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 nothing. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, um, and, uh, the thermal was the same way. I mean, we didn't, we didn't just like turn the thermal on and suddenly start seeing Bigfoots all over the place. So I think that there's, there's a, there's a amount of time you have to invest in any sort of, um, strategy. And so while I think the physical camera trap could work, um, it's, it's, uh, also something we've said that we're not trying to get a picture anymore, but we don't think a picture will do it. Uh, they wanted to also say, let him know. I wish him and his crew the best of luck with their endeavors, and to please bring back the Bigfoot show. And that was from Beans. Uh, Thanks, Beans. So here's a question: You're this is very important to your to your life, like in general, and you spend tons of time in X, and I know Daryl does too. So, like, do your does your family? How does your family feel about this? Are they interested? Do they have any? Do, like, you have a son. Like, did, yeah. did your kids have any interest in like getting into this or following in dad's? Yeah, my steps? daughter, who's thirteen, is scared to death of it. My son, who's seventeen, is um is more than a little intrigued, and uh, would very much like to go to X. But up until recently, I haven't really felt that I wanted to bring you know a sixteen year old or, or or younger down down there. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife uh, is accepting of my interest in the subject. Um, I believe that she accepts my, you know, what I say happened to me. So I'm not going to go and say, Oh, she's a believer. I mean, I tell her what happened and she believes what I said because she's my wife. Um, so, you know, they, they, uh, and there's nobody left in the family who will dare give me any crap for it. So I don't have any of those sort of situations. It's funny today. I was talking to somebody at work, um, cause you know, I own my own company and we have, uh, a number of employees, and one of them today told me that he listened to my podcast, and I, I did not know that he was listening to my podcast. The Bigfoot Show is what he was listening to, and it's been a long time since I had some sort of like self conscious like 
involuntary reaction to to my interest in the subject, but like that caused one because I just wasn't ready for him to say like, yeah, I listen to your podcast. I mean, we didn't talk about it. We didn't. I didn't want to get into it because he's probably not the kind of guy who he's probably just listening because he was curious to see what kind of weird crap his boss was into. Um, but um, yeah, it, it doesn't really impact my life. And what I find is when someone wants to talk to me about it, um, probably because you know I I and I don't want to like blow my own horn, but I don't come off as a a crazy person. You know, I, I think I sound fairly reasonable <laughs> and when I talk about it. Um, most of the times people are just like super interested, you know, they, they, uh, they just want to, they just want to know more about it. You said, you said, cause your son's 16 and you don't, you didn't. He's 17 now. 17, yeah. but yeah. okay. Well, have there been any younger people, you know, in, in X like kids or a few, a very few in, and, um, some members, yeah, yeah. There's been there's been a couple, hardly any, but I would say that there's there's been uh, a handful of them. Ha, has anything has that kind of inspired any activity or? I don't know that it has. Okay. I, I, I don't. I don't know that I have enough data for that to okay. make that conclusion. Have um, you guys ever played but no like- young kids? I mean, the the kids that have been in there um, have been you know middle to late teens. Yeah, there's been. And I don't recall off the top of my head like any. I real just children. think of like when I took my my niece to the to the zoo. And we went to the over to the chimps. They were yeah. utterly fascinated by her. Of course, of course, that was maybe it was just her because I've also seen him completely ignore children entirely. But like, it makes me wonder how a small child like if that would encourage kind of curiosity or or what would happen. I think it's it's entirely possible. I, I just like I don't I don't I don't want to use my own as bait. You know what oh I yeah, yeah. I'm saying yeah. Um, I I think there's something to that. I I think that um. You know, I was in there one one year with a, an all female team except for me. There were four four women and me, and um, that was a, a very interesting week. You know, and and um, I think some of it could have been because uh, there were four women there. I, I, I don't know for a fact, but it's entirely possible. All right, uh, another letter. Hey, dudes, how's it going? Loving the show. Blah blah blah. What are the most surprising events you've experienced through the various operations the NAWAC has conducted in X? doesn't have to be wood ape related oh doesn't have to be wood ape related mm-hmm. you know what it constantly impresses me is how how much of a a team effort you know when, when these guys come together guys and, and women come together in the group and do really amazing things and i think the radio tag is a really good example of that that is literally the experiences and, and life knowledge of a half a dozen people all bound together against this one challenge and then everyone coming together and deploying and, 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 you know, observing and, and getting the, make sure the tags are, are where they should be and everything else. It's just, it's, it completely blows me away. Um, what uh, a dedicated and, and um, just what a dedicated group of people can do when they put their mind to it. And, and I think that's, that's been very surprising to me, you know, personally, the most, the most impactful stuff is, has been um, encounters with the actual animal itself, but uh, non wood ape related. I just think I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by the team. I'm blown away by what they can do. Uh, are there any, any WAC members in the region currently? If so, what kind of activity is being reported? Uh, I think we have a team going in um, sometime in the near future and they're going to be looking for the radio tag again. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty much consumed all of our, our all of our attention. That is an amazing thing. Like that, the story, just the, the the idea of what could be out there that's moving around yeah. with that thing. Yeah, I think that the there's a couple of things. I, I, we cannot find any example in the literature of any animal tagging itself of any kind. Mm-hmm. You know, cougars, uh, turkeys, <laughs> bears. I mean, you name it. We cannot find any example of an animal self tagging itself um, in this way. And and we are un, totally unaware of anyone deploying this technology looking for wood apes. And if so. Um, actually having success at it. So it, 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 is, it is really, really exciting. It's one of these things when you're in the NAWAC, and I, I don't say this to get people to try to join because it's not that easy, but when you, you sit around talking with people sort of nonchalantly about just completely mind-blowing things, if you would, if you would sort of step back and listen to the conversation you're having with your, with your you know, comrades about this, it's just completely worldview changing stuff that, that we just like, Oh yeah. And then the radio tag was over there and then it was over there. And then the range you realize is like really large. And like, now you realize that we're collecting 
habitat data, like range data. How far does one of these things go? What is its what is its home territory? Nobody knows, but we're actually collecting data that can help answer that question. And it, it, if you allow yourself to step back for a second, it's just mind blowing. Uh, how has your firsthand experience with this animal influenced your perspective of the natural world? You know, I've always been really interested in, in the natural world, but I think that having the experiences that I've had and, and being there, I, I've become much more interested in understanding how um, ecosystems work and how, um, you know, the, I, I mean, I did not understand. I, 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 was the, I was a city boy. I grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles, and so I would drive you know, through the forest and they were just green trees. That's the only thing I knew is all the trees are green and they're out in the forest. And that's the extent of my understanding. And I think that's probably the extent of most people. But now I can look at a forest and I can see that's replanted monoculture. That's not supporting a habitat, anything like the habitat that was there before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost a desert from the standpoint of, of the amount of life that lives there. So just getting me more interested in learning about how natural systems work and and, and the value of of natural systems and how appearances can be deceiving, especially when you look at a forest and you see um, what gets replanted very often is, is not what was there before. Hmm. Um, so it's that education an interest in education and trying to understand the world around me better. Uh, Tackle taco asks, yeah. uh, are you ever going to let Scott take a trip out to Eric's? <laughs> uh, and are you open to the possibility of letting a close friend like Scott or Seth, I'm a close friend, make a documentary about what the NAWAC is doing down there? I had to pay him to. I hope I can company. count you as a friend, Seth. I, I I am super interested in at somebody, somebody documenting this. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing is, you know, I think. What the radio tag especially has has helped us understand is that when we talk about Area X, Area X is the entire Washita ecosystem. I mean, it's a huge area. I think that that I do not believe that someone needs to go into you know Ground Zero, the cabin you know um, compound that, that we've been working out of for several years to experience Area X. I think they just need to go into the Washitas, find um, a national forest, find a place to camp. And hang out there for a week, and I, 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 I can't guarantee anything, but I, I think that that's that's as close as you need to get to having the same kind of experiences that we have. I believe those animals are all over the Washitas, and I think they're in there in in uh, in sufficient numbers that that you should have some kind of encounter. Especially, try to find a spot that is f- as far away from the roads as possible that is in old growth, not replanted monoculture. Look for hardwoods. Um, look for nuts. Um, look for water, and I'm telling you, I, I think you'll do well. Um, he also asks, uh, has the mouse in your pocket finally been able to convince Scott or Paul of the PGF's authenticity? Which makes me wonder, do you even do you even care about the PGF anymore? I care about the PGF because I think it's a remarkable piece of natural history. I don't, I, I have <laughs> no interest in having a debate with somebody about the PGF. Right, right. <laughs> you know, um, I think the PGF is... Um, is is more real today than I did, you know, five or ten years ago. I, I just I don't um, no I don't I this is like with my encounters. It's like the whole thing is like I don't I don't care if anybody believes me or believes what I do on this. It's it's cool because I just took uh, I just took a couple dudes out to dinner this past week because we were talking. It's a couple guys that are going to help out with Boggy on on the post production side of things. One of them's actually going with us, but the other guy had no prior knowledge of Bigfoot or any, you know, he, he'd never heard any sightings or any, any of this kind of stuff, but he was aware of, um, well, actually that, that was kind of funny. One, one of the things that got me into Bigfoot was this dentist who, who owned a house down in Bolivar and she lived on the, the backside of Bolivar yep. out in the middle of nowhere. And she'd claimed all this activity, um, on her property. And it turned out that her, she was like his dentist. So when we started talking about this, I knew automatically who his dentist was because he said that was the only lady who he'd ever met who claimed to have some sort of encounter. But where I was going with that is that um, he was talking about how he thought, you know, he asked me if I thought there was any good Bigfoot footage. And I said, the only two things I really care about, like I think are half decent, are the Freeman footage and the um, the uh, the PGF. And he was like, you you don't think that's just a guy in a suit and i said well i was like i i i probably my gut reaction when i first see it 
is probably the same as his is because like he just he sees it he thinks guy in a suit right and i remember that that was my reaction and i'm still not 100 percent sold on it but when you watch a lot of the the kind of uh you know the, the analysis that like Munz has done and that kind of things. It, yeah. it kind of helps break it down. But anyway, I pulled it up on my phone. We're sitting there watching it together, and to watch him kind of hear someone else say that they think it could be legitimate, and then have him watch it. He kept watching it like over and over and over. There's almost this like mystical quality. To There's that a. Video. It's like a, it's the uncanny valley. You know what that is? That the uncanny valley yeah. is. Uh, it, it. I think the PGF looks exactly like a guy in a suit until you see a guy in a suit. Mm-hmm. And then you realize it really doesn't look anything like it. And your brain is trying to like make sense of it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't look at it and, and think it looks like a guy in a suit. Um, and I think it's because I've seen enough videos, a of guys in suits that look nothing like the PGF that look like complete horse crap. Mm-hmm. And then I've also seen animals, you know, and, and, and I, I sort of triangulate the PGF, you know, I have the PGF, used to be an island unto itself that was in my mind a really great island it was there was all kinds of great um reasons to go there but over the years i've there's been two other islands that that all sort of like in my mind um are self-referential you've got the pgf you've got the freeman footage which i used to not really understand and, and not really know what to do with um and i understand that, that that freeman has some issues because he may have sweetened some things over the years i don't think that scott does that he's a hoaxer and that everything he's ever come up with should be completely dis- discounted i don't think that's true um but then the freeman footage is out there and then um my understanding of of the you know the 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 um oklahoma bigfoot photos that, yeah that's that Alton investigated you put the three of those together and you see elements of all three of those things in all three of those things mm-hmm. You know, the animal looks very much like the PGF figure, but it also looks a little like Freeman's figure. It seems to be moving like Freeman's figure, you know, the way it's stooping and the way its head is sitting there. So in my mind, those three things all reinforce one another. Yeah, we could geek out on the Oklahoma photo because you and I, we talked about it on the show before because the size, the first time I saw the size comparisons, I got got goosebumps. Yeah, Yeah. because it was and that's the only photo that is related to this where I ever had like that kind of visceral reaction to it where I was, there's almost fear when I saw it. This is what's cool about it. Right. So we don't know how big the PGF figure was. There's no really, there's, it's really, well, Munz will tell you, he knows pretty much how big it was, but it's hard to, it's hard to put a a measuring stick up in a way that most people understand. But in the Oklahoma situation, the, the, the research that Alton did on that was so thorough. We, I think we know exactly how tall it was and it was monstrous. It was huge. And it looks exactly like the PGF figure, except it's a male, not a female. It looks like the exact same animal. It is, it is, I agree with you that when you, when you look at it and and you see that size thing and the guy holding his jacket up on a stick, that's yeah. I mean, it's tall, but it's also massive. It's huge. It's the size of a Volkswagen. Width of it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's gigantic. Which is what people say, you know, when right. when you hear and and Old Gray, the 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 uh, the one that we've called Old Gray, is every bit as big as the picture that is from Oklahoma. Uh, speaking of Old Gray, James Rester wants to know: Do they continue to see the same characters, aka the Old Gray one, and and I believe a reddish one, and or have there been new residents to the valley? Yeah, I would say yes. Um, there is definitely. Uh, 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 there was a there was a sighting just this last year um, from the road of someone on our team of a large gray animal uh, that seems to have been going down on all fours and, and running into the bushes. Um, the, so, I, and I, but I, what I don't know is I don't know if it's the exact same gray animal. You know, I don't know how many gray animals there are down there. But we we sort of sort of just collected all together as as this quote unquote old gray. Um, so I would say yes. Um, I had a as I was referencing earlier, I had a, a visual through a thermal scope of a very large animal that could have been old gray. It was big enough to be old gray. It was gigantic. Um, but it's, uh, I couldn't tell what color it was cause, well, I think it may have been great. So the story there is that, do you want to hear the story? Yeah. Okay. Of course. So, yeah. You had, um, uh, so yeah, so we're down there. It's, um, it's it's bloody hot. It's ridiculously hot. It's 105 degrees uh, during the day. So we were doing some weird things at night. We were doing um, – usually we have uh, some kind of light source. We have a fire going or we have tiki torches. But 
it was too hot for fire by a long shot. So we decided that we were just going to sit in the blackness, just in the dark. And there was no moon, and I couldn't even see the guys around me. That was that's how dark it was. But the sky was incredible. Did you have Brandon Lentz on your show? No, no, not yet. Oh, he was on that other show. Sorry, not yours. Yeah, that other show. The other show. Okay, talk. <laughs> right. Okay, talk. Exactly. That's where he was on. Um, so it was Clint, me and Brandon. Clint is clapping somewhere right now that I said the name of my uh, talk on my show. Yeah. Um, so it was me and it was, uh, Brandon and it was, uh, David Mishizuski and, uh, and, and his husband and, um, uh, another guy here from, from Minnesota and we were hanging out in the dark and cause it was pot and we were miserable and, uh, we had the, the thermal off the, off the rifle and we were just scoping with it. And again, we're sitting in the blackness and, um, Brandon says he sees he has a thermal hit. And so I say, okay, give me the thermal and, uh, I'll, I'll see if what I see, what you see. And I put the thermal up in my face, and instantly, I, and I'm looking up towards the slope, towards the mountainside, because that's kind of the direction I think he was looking. I couldn't really tell, because, of course, it's pitch black, and I can't see him. And um, he says, uh, it's right over there, so I look over there, and I see this figure. Which, and I've, I've looked at that hillside a thousand times, and I've never seen anything like the shape that I see um, when I do this. And it's, and it's what I tell everyone that I'm never going to see when they go in there. It's the classic, perfect, like, pointy head, you know, high shoulders massively wide uh animal hold on a second can you keep it down thank you and um i'm like dude like i totally see it and he's like yeah you see it and i'm like yeah so i give the scope back and he's like yeah it's like it's like it's over by the outhouse and i'm thinking like no it's not give me the scope back and i look through the scope again and i'm like it's not by the outhouse like you're crazy like you know what you're talking about it's up there on the hill it's like right there anyway we go back and forth like this and and what i think what was happening is he was seeing something in a different spot than i was but I wasn't looking for anything else because as soon as I put the scope up my head, as soon as I looked through it, I saw an eight. You know, mm-hmm. there were some things about it that, that didn't make sense to me um, at the time. Uh, one of them was that the color, the the brightness of the of the figure was not uh, bright white. You know, usually when I look through the thermal, um, the animals are the warmest thing I see, so they're the brightest thing in the field of, of view. But uh, because the, it was so hot there, it actually was the trees that were the hottest thing, were the, were, the, were the brightest things. And the animal was actually dimmer than the trees. So that kind of threw me for a second. I didn't really understand that. But um, so I, I look and I'm seeing this thing. And I finally, I just like, I'm, I'm ignoring him at this point because I, I think I don't know what he's talking about. And my brain is starting to get into that sort of like staticky, fuzzy area where like I, I'm almost having a hard time believing what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, well... I see this. I say, like, let's go over there to, to Brandon. He's like, yes, let's go over there. So I start walking in a direction that doesn't make any sense to him because I'm not walking towards his thermal hit, but he's, he's following me. He's like, okay, I'm game. I'll go. Like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'll follow you. And so I had my light on this spot. So the, where it was, it was up on the slope, it was up on the mountain. And, you know, it's all woods up there, but there was like this sort of window that was actually all the way back to the, the mountainside. So the, during the day, you can look through there and you can see rocks and you can see the slope from where I was sitting. It's just like this sort of natural window that opens up. So I had my bright light um, from my shotgun on that spot and I walked in a perfectly straight line, not blinking, not taking my eye off that spot because I couldn't see anything with my eyes. I could see it with the thermal, but I couldn't see it with my eyes. And I walked over to it with my eyes on it the whole time and when I started to get close to the edge of the woods, I was still pretty far away from it. I saw it move. I saw it step to its left. It was invisible until it moved. And I don't mean it was invisible in that it was shape-shifting or something. Okay. I mean that it was perfectly camouflaged. And until it moved, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Hmm. And it just stepped to the left. And then all the hair on the back of my head stood up <laughs> because it was freakish. You know, I, I saw this thing move that I couldn't actually see until it moved. It was like predator technology or something. Um, so that was, that was, uh, that was through the thermal and, and it, it, I, I couldn't, I went back and sat down and I actually convinced myself that night that I wasn't even going to put this in our journal. I wasn't going to put it in the field notes because I, I had a hard time. And this is something you'll hear guys say sometimes that they, they, they almost can't accept what they saw. They almost can't let themselves believe what they saw. Um, had we not done a, a recreation the next day uh, with the thermal and in daylight so I could see this, the, like where this thing was and, this, and the size of it and everything else, um, it wasn't really till the next day that I accepted what I'd seen. Um, but it was, it, was, it was perfect. It was a perfect 
thermal visual, pointy head, giant shoulders. This thing was, you know, three times, four times the size of, of an adult man. It was, it was unbelievable. And that was big enough to be gray. I don't know that it was gray, but it was big enough. It, it could have been gray because it seemed gray when it moved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could have been all gray right there. Wow. On that note, we're going to have to wrap up. Um, NAWAC, where can people track along with them? Woodape.org is the website. Uh, we're also on Facebook. If you go uh, to Facebook and search for North American Wood Ape Conservancy, you'll find it. Um, we're also on Twitter, but it's basically just a, a repeat of what's on Facebook. So um, unless you like Twitter better, but we're also we're also on Twitter um, as uh, North American. Just do a search for North American Wood Ape. I, I, I don't know um, exactly what our handle is on Twitter, but we're there it's as like well. No way I'm ape or something. Yeah, remember. NAWAC was taken by somebody. Yeah. So we had to go with something else. Yeah, it's no way I'm ape. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Not that I know. Um, yeah, make sure you're on their Facebook page. They're always updating stuff. So that's, that's cool stuff. And the Bigfoot Show, I still strongly recommend people go back, listen to old episodes. That's That's kind of one of the shows that is responsible for me being involved in this thing at all. So, um, Brian, thanks for, thanks for joining me. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.